My name is Amit Atkin. I'm a psychiatrist and neuroscientist. Uh, I'm a professor at Stanford in the psychiatry department and in the Neurosciences Institute, as well as now a CEO and founder of a startup called Alto Neuroscience. For psychiatry and for neuroscience, um, the question is why go after trying to understand depression and who responds to an antidepressant in biological terms? And more specifically, why go after EEG as a way to get there? Across all of our history in psychiatry, we've used every one of our interventions, whether it's pharmacological, psychotherapeutic, or brain stimulation, more or less blind to information about the person. And that has led us over the years to come to the conclusion that interventions seem to work less well than we had thought or hoped, and certainly leads to a lot of frustration on the part of patients and clinicians. But at the same time, our diagnoses have been very imprecise based on very broad, often nonspecific clinical criteria. And so what we wanted to do in this study was ask a much more basic question, which is, is the issue the imprecision of our diagnoses and that we give a drug, in this case, sertraline, to people in an unselected manner, some of which have a brain signature that's associated with response versus a brain signature that's associated with non-response to the drug? Or is it that the diagnosis is fine and the drugs are simply not particularly more effective uh, than placebos, which has been the feeling in the field? And so the best way to get a viewpoint into that is to use a tool that can tell you something about the brain, how the brain works. In this case, EEG is a direct measure of brain function. And what we quantified was how connected different parts of the brain are and how they communicate with each other based on EEG. And then give people an antidepressant or give them a placebo, randomize them to one of the two, and ask the question of whether knowing something about their brain helps explain whether it's in fact that the drug just simply doesn't work all that well and that you can't predict how it works for some people different from others based on the EEG, or is the diagnosis imprecise and can be better understood in terms of some additional test of brain function, in this case EEG, such that we can find those people for whom an antidepressant really works much better than placebo and differentiate them from the people for whom an antidepressant doesn't work any differently from placebo. And then separate of that, we wanted to understand just the placebo response itself. Are there things in the brain that can help us understand who responds to placebo just on its own? So this study is part of, a st uh, is one analysis in a study called Embark. Embark is a study that began um, now nearly 10 years ago, funded by NIH as a multi-site clinical trial. Its specific goal, though, is not to be a clinical trial to determine whether the drug works differently from placebo. This is already an FDA-approved drug that has been studied extensively, but rather a study to add on imaging, behavioral, and other measures in the context of a clinical trial in order to answer the questions that I mentioned earlier. And in fact, 
this is the largest such trial, the largest trial with imaging in a randomized placebo-controlled context for depression. What we did as part of that then is take EEG data at baseline prior to the randomization and prescription of treatment for each patient and evaluated whether information in that EEG could then predict clinical outcome. And that's the subject of this particular analysis um, to answer the questions I had posed earlier. The main findings in this case were as follows. First, that it does seem while the drug is only slightly better than placebo on average, that there are really important differences between people based on their EEG conductivity that we can assess and determine that for some people, their brain signature predicts a much better response to drug versus placebo, or in some cases, even placebo relative to drug. Whereas in other people, their brain signatures suggest an equal response to the antidepressant and placebo. So it does seem like there's two major conclusions here. One is that people with depression when diagnosed clinically don't have exactly the same picture in terms of their brains and it matters a lot with respect to understanding their treatment outcome. The second actually similarly exciting is that EEG as a tool seems to carry a lot of that important signal. And the implication there is that EEG, which is something that can be done relatively cheaply and implemented in clinics at scale, may be the kind of thing we want to scale on in order to be able to drive new diagnostics and down the, down the line, new therapeutics into psychiatry in a personalized, targeted, rational, neuroscience-driven way. One of the things we'd uh, done very deliberately in how we did this analysis is we looked in across the entire brain, all the, the connections across the cortex using this particular EEG measure. And the reason for doing that is that this way we decrease the chance for bias in terms of where we're looking in the brain because I think most people at this point understand that when you when you constrain your viewpoint, you actually bias yourself to get the kind of answers you were hoping to get, but they may not be the most re representative answers. And in fact, that's what we saw here, that some of the strongest signal in the brain in terms of which regions had connectivity that best differentiated between drug and placebo were actually in the back of the brain in an area called the parietal cortex, which is not a region we often think about when we talk about depression. Most of that we talk about with respect to the front of the brain, the frontal cortex. However, in most cases also, people never even look at parietal cortex because they're so focused on the frontal cortex. And that's, again, that opportunity for bias to creep in just in terms of what we're looking at. So that was a surprising and interesting result. It came out of a if you will, unbiased data-driven analysis and should lead people to start thinking some more about what does that really mean to see that there? How do we alter our hypotheses, our ideas of what's going on with depression with respect to who responds to an antidepressant now knowing this? Um, and that's really what we'd hope to achieve from this study. So the question 
of near-term application for clinical practice is a very interesting one. We have a number of other papers um, currently either in press uh, or in process in various ways that address that um, systematically and, and um, do have very specific clinical implications. This is one paper out of that set. I think we'll see in the next six to 12 months as these papers come to print uh, that EEG is really something that is maybe not today ready for prime time, but very soon will be. Has all of the right attributes for, for a test that could be used clinically. Like I mentioned, it's cheap, it's scalable, it's something that already happens in neurology clinics. Um, but it does seem to be sensitive to the individual differences between patients that map onto treatment outcome. We could call that a diagnosis. We can say, well, that EEG is telling us something about that person that could be thought of as diagnostic. I prefer to think of it as that's an objective test that can help the clinician make decisions. I'm not trying in these studies to redefine depression purely based on these biological criteria. Rather, I think people have a sense of what depression is from just clinical experience as well as patients from their own experience and in fact the lay public. What we're trying to do is add the, the objective test to guide what a physician does in terms of what treatments they try for the patient and how we talk about depression really with respect to the biology of the brain.